Hello and welcome everybody to this edition of the CMAX podcast. My name is Brenda Lee. I'm the marketing communications specialist. And with me, as always, is Clarissa McCallum. Hello, everybody. I'm Clarissa McCallum, the marketing coordinator here at CMAX. And today we have a really exciting episode for episode six of our podcast with Adam Zare of Walnut Long Farms. Welcome, Adam. Hello. Good to be here. And thanks for um, having me on. Excellent. Okay, well, I guess I'll start off our our little question period here. Um, I think a lot of people think that with famous bulls like Solomon and Sidekick that you might have your traditional tie stall barn still. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what your setup is, uh, if that's changed? Yeah, so um, we were in a tie stall. We were in, an, uh, I guess it was 82 um, stall, tie stall up until... Um, year 2000 and so we moved into a a new uh sand bedded uh robot barn uh freestyle robot barn i should say we put in two lely a5s and um it's been really good change for us it's been um just the flexibility of lifestyle um i enjoy coaching hockey and getting to the kids sports games and so it, it just makes it so much more flexible for that um and as well the cows have also done um quite a bit better as well like we're it's just it's so much easier for us to like monitor i guess the big thing is probably heat so our fertility's gotten that much better i think our our breedings are timed much better than they used to be um we also just we, we don't miss the heats near as much as we used to um also the production uh has gone up significantly we're actually we're milking right now we're milking 74 um we're milking less cows than we used to and filling significantly more quota in the, in the old tie stall uh we usually arranged uh 35 to 37 kilo average and now we're we're usually 42 to 45 currently we're sitting at just over 44 kilo average so the milk comes quite a bit easier too um at the same time then we built the new barn we also switched from tower silos uh to bunk silos and i think that made a difference as well we just because we get our, our bunks custom filled now, it's so much more timely. We're, we're just a little more accurate when we're getting the feed off because it comes off so much faster. So we've, we've, we've done more. It's been the housing, fresh air, getting the cows moving around, feed changes. We feed more precise than we used to. And all those things have really added up to um, just better overall health and also lifestyle as well. <laughs> that's been, yeah, absolutely. that's been something else that's been really nice. Yeah. It's a big change. So been good and was it hard for the cows or did things go pretty smoothly or your different stories um the, the initial move the cows got really like, the herd got young like it, it was hard on the old cows there's no doubt about it um we also because of our situation here in canada with uh, with the quota system uh we moved in with a lot of um credit days under credit days and i had all kinds of intentions of filling those and then, of course, when we moved in in February 2020 was when COVID hit. And so a lot of things, the markets, processing, everything changed. So then we were limited to one, one day of your undercredits you could use a month. So we really got into a jam quite quickly because I had expectations of filling three, four a month, you know, once, especially once the cows started ramping up. So um, the big thing was it was, it was, it was tough on their feet, um, getting them used to, and especially the old cows. Um, my hoof trimmer was really good help for us. He, 
he just told us before you're going to want me here. And so we had him booked in once a week. <laughs> he came and we were yeah. blocking cows just to get him used to it. We did that for about three or maybe four weeks and then things came, it just came together nicely then. So, but yeah, the herd definitely did get younger. Yeah, for sure. And then when you think about your herd, probably your most famous foundation cow is Lavengard Sue. So let's talk about her for a couple minutes. Easy question. Is she the most famous Lavengard in your opinion? Well, I think, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> In my heart, she's the most famous for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely she is. And how did you how did you acquire her? Because I think a lot of people have asked that and maybe assume, you know, you got her through private sale or through the dispersal, or how did you come about her? Yeah, so um it was it was it was over, I guess, a year or two period. We I I kind of um I was intrigued by genomics and we had genomic genomic tested some cows in our own herd. And I, I had the idea I wanted to put some bulls in stud and and we've always bred for type. And so we kind of were on the lookout for a really good um, cow from a brand name family, brand name family with a big pedigree and a cow that looks the part was mandatory for us. And so we had kind of been on the lookout for over a year. It might have been a couple of years mm -hmm. for a cow like that. And so actually um, Sue was, was actually consigned to the Seal of Stars. Um, by Dominique and, and uh, Kathy Mermanad at Misty Springs. And so she had, uh, I believe there was five um, daughters already at that point. And something that I, um, of course we were early in genomics. I still feel like I'm learning every day with genomics, but I, we were really learning quickly at that time. And we'd try things and hope for the best. And at that point, sure. we seen it, that it was pretty impressive that all five of her daughters went above parent average. Um, she was scored 87 points about 15 days fresh, um, which was not long before. So we inquired about her, asked her flush history and whatnot. And, and um, we were told she's not going in the sale um, because she's just not ready. They think she's really a special cow, but she's not ready yet. Um, so then it was over, uh, it was over a period of a couple of weeks. We ended up seeing her and we went back and forth and then we ended up buying her um, privately. So she was, she was to go with the sale of stars. She ended up not, we got her privately. And that was, um, looking back, like that was a, a really big, like a massive turning point for our herd and our, in our direction. Um, so when we bought Sue, I guess our goals, well, I wanted to put some bulls instead at that point. Um, but our goals, we, when we buy something and still to this day, if we make any kind of significant uh, purchase of a cow or heifer, I always have a plan. What, how are we gonna make money back? Like how is she gonna pay herself off? And right. so for Sue, we were fortunate that when we um, we bought her, we flushed her, and we decided we're going to try to get like two, three pregnancies from each flush, and we're going to sell the rest of the embryos from every flush. And we were we were fortunate that she flushed really well. And so she was a cow that made, um, and it wasn't it wasn't crazy numbers in the flush, but she'd make like double digits most flushes, and she always gave a nice number every flush. So because she flushed well, we were able to keep, you know, we turned over and then we bought the Sandy Valley Atwood Brady. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, we ended up buying Fur Haven um, FGS uh, Laura. And then her, after that, again, yeah, her full sister, um, Lucy, the two snowman sisters from the Laurie Sheik family. So um, mm -hmm. I feel like we really owe a lot to Sue because oh, my phone's going off. If we hadn't, <laughs> if we hadn't had the, the, um, 
good results we had from her and got the return, I don't, I don't know what would have happened. We, we paid a lot, lot of money for Sue and she yeah. paid herself off really quite quickly. So it, it opened my eyes. That's for sure. When, when you have a cow from a brand name family, that's got marketable numbers, it was, um, it was easier to make that money back than we realized. And of course we were fortunate. Everything went like she flushed and things went well. Cause you know, sure. it could have just been as easy that maybe she did have it all like we thought, but she didn't flush. So we were fortunate. Right. Well, sure. It certainly gave you confidence that your your theory on how genomics works and type indeed worked and allowed you to buy other cows and do the same thing yeah, over and it over. Was, yeah, and so we end, we ended up, like I say, we we owe a lot to Sue. <laughs> and um, yeah, she was she was a, a special cow for us for sure. So let's talk a little bit about Solomon and Sidekick. Did you think you you mentioned that your goal was to put some bulls into stud and you were breeding for tight, but did you think that those matings would be the result of those two bulls? Um, uh, well, no, of course not. Like, of course, we didn't <laughs> think they were going to be number one type. <laughs> we, I, I had lots of dreams, but of course you'd think, oh, well, they're not going to, you know, we don't know what they're going to be. Of course you didn't think they're sure. going to be number one. But, um, but but when we um we did the doorman flush on on sue doorman was really high like type lpi tpi pta he was like a no-brainer bull and so we more or less um he, he looked at the type bull he wanted because he had some numbers in high type so we did that flush and when we when we got numbers on solomon i still remember um like like i said we were pretty new still at it and so we we kind of thought oh we think we have a good bull here but we we really didn't know, like we didn't know how good he was. And, and is he, is he, is he really good? Or is he really, really good? We didn't, we didn't know. And um, it wasn't until his numbers, then uh, he got the age, he had a stud code. His numbers went up on the CDN website and I kind of, you could kind of rank him at that point. And at that point we realized that, that Solomon's like a big deal. And I, and I still remember, <laughs> um, I remember saying to my dad during milking one night, I said, dad, big time show cows are going to get flushed to Solomon. And he's, he said to me, you think like he was, you think, and I'm like, yeah, they are like, he, he is high. Dad. Like he, he is high. And so that was pretty neat for us, especially when we started seeing it happening that um, like, whoa, people are using this bull. <laughs> like it was pretty cool. Uh, and then, and then the flush with, um, with Abbott on, on summer. So I when picking bulls. I really still really believe in the bulls that have a big deviation over parent average. And so I'll look at the traits on those bulls that they go up over pair and average a lot. And so when we did the flush on summer, she was an 88.2 year old. We, we knew what we had there with her and, and she was number one type cow at the time. Um, and, and she had a lot of things we wanted for as far as type goes, but I wanted to wedge your loin. And so um, this Abbott bull, he wasn't the highest for anything, but I thought he's, he's way above pair and average for everything. And I thought this bull is awesome and is, is particularly good in his rumps. So we ended up using them quite a bit. And um, so the flush on summer, it just like to make sidekick um, with Abbott just made sense. And so then when, but of course you don't think you're gonna turn out the number one. And and when we, I still remember, I remember the day Brian Criscadden um, called, it was my herdsman, uh, Cody Outred at the time. I didn't have a cell phone. And uh, so he called, <laughs> he had to call Cody to tell him, he said, that we got this bull and i remember we were we were having some tim hortons in the office and cody's like yeah brian says you got a great bull at him and uh 
at that point we were in it a little longer. And when we got the numbers, I realized this pulls, this pulls awesome. Like sidekicks numbers. Um, I guess his numbers kind of prove the theory I have on genomics. When we got his numbers, he was 22 type. Uh, well, I should say confirmation, I guess, but you know what I right. mean? Yeah. And, confirmation uh, for sure. He was 22 confirmation and he wound up over parent average for every single trade except milk. He was like, I think six or 800, but he was like four or 500 kilos below parent average. And so for me, I'm like, well, this bull's awesome, but he does no milk. And, and now <laughs> we know what it, genomics hit him right, like hit the nail right on the head on, on sidekick. So at that point, of course, you didn't think you're going to make the mating that he was going to be number one. But with Solomon, we had no idea how good he really, we didn't know. And and, and sidekick, we kind of, we had done it before we kind of realized this bull's, this bull's pretty special. So it was, it was fun. Yeah, very cool. And so like with these two bulls, you were right. There were some guys that were going to use Solomon and make some good show cows. And there's one named Footloose and a lot of guys that would be agreeing with you that, yeah, I mean, take a look at her. World Dairy Expo Grand Champion. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And now you've got Sidekick and he could unthrown Unix as the next king of the ring. Like that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Well, I, well, thanks. Like it's, it's cool. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> like, like uh, it's, it's something that one thing I've always looked at it as is that um, like, I don't know. There's like thousands of bulls you could pick, right, to make a mating on a single cow. So I always think, I look at it sometimes still, and and if someone picks your bull to breed their cow to, then I just go, wow, like wow, that that's cool that <laughs> they they picked our bull to breed to. So it's it's pretty it's pretty neat to see, and and it's it for me. I feel like more or less I'm living the dream seeing that because that's what I wanted to do, is put some bulls that could like not just make stud but like prove out and. and you know, leave cows that can leave a mark on the breed. And so that's been like dream come true for me. And so sometimes I tell my wife, you know, I feel like I'm like, I'm this, this, this is good as it's going to get for me. I think probably all downhill from here. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Well, I hope not, I, but, but, but it's, it's I don't pretty, think it's so. Pretty neat. It means a lot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get I, any less cool each time it happens. It just keeps, keeps being just as cool every time. I still do. Um, my my goal is to breed a premier sire at um, at Madison or Royal, and um, Solomon and Sidekick have been uh, premier sire at International Dairy Week in Australia. So that's that's pretty cool. And this past year, um, like Unix, he's like he's killing me because like Sidekick was second and Solomon third, and I'm like, <laughs> it wasn't for that Unix bull. <laughs> but well, well Unix, I I love our Unix spiders. I like the bull. <laughs> Well, but I think Sidekick was, it, it wasn't as big of a point spread as you might think, if I remember the numbers right. So, you'll, I, there's really good chance for it. And so, you know, why not, why not have it be you and your breeding? I think that's awesome. Yeah, I hope so. And, and if we don't, I'll still be satisfied, but I still want to, I still want to win it. I don't want to be second. I want to win. <laughs> good attitude. So true or false, there is a urban or a rural myth that your robots are named after these two bulls. <laughs> so, so I have I have heard that, and actually a lot of people ask us if if the robots are Sidekick and Solomon. And so it's been like it's not it's not true that, they, that we call them that, but it's not a hundred percent false because people do often ask, and it's kind of joked about. 
but like we're not uh we're not creative enough for that we have one robot in the sidewall like on the, along our sidewall of our barn and then we have one right dead center and so we call them the side robot and the middle robot like I guess we lack creativity. <laughs> great marketing on those two robots. <laughs> well, I guess then everybody's named them for you. You can just start calling them that. Yeah. Go with it. Yeah, we could go that way, way with them. I mean, we have a side robot, so that one could be sidekick. Sidekick, I guess. yep. <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, I mean, that's that family, but um, you have lots of deep pedigreed cow families, of course. So we'd we'd love uh, to talk about the Briar family a little bit more. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit more about that family. And uh, is, would you say she's your most photographed cow at this time? We seem to see her show up in all the tour photos. Everybody wants to meet <laughs> her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Briar is, um, uh, she, she's a, she's just like, she's quite a cow. She's got quite a personality. And so, um, for, for us, she's going to be, um, she's going to have a massive influence on our herd. We, we know that we've, she's got six daughters. Um, she has six daughters from, uh, when she was, we flushed as a heifer, I guess I did, uh, three flushes on her. We got, uh, these six daughters. So she's a cow, um, from an excellent Abbott cow and then very good doorman and then excellence through Barbie. And, she is a, she's got like, um, she's, she's a boss. Like I actually, I have, I usually keep her in the group behind the robot, which is, is 14 stalls. And I keep any fresh cows there or uh, cows on needles or anything. And, and usually Briar likes to take a round out of each cow that comes in there, which sometimes gets annoying, but she's, <laughs> she's like, she loves people. Like it's actually abnormally it's a little weird how much she loves people like and so she likes to have her tongue out and grab people quite a bit and so usually like royal tours or any tour we have um usually there's a lot of selfies with her because she's over checking everybody out and usually her tongue's out and <laughs> she's just like she's a cow that just loves life it seems <laughs> and she wasn't a 4-h heifer correct because that's something that you see out of a lot of uh your retired 4-h heifers that are a little bit too friendly per se yeah, that's kind of how she acts, but no, she wasn't a 4 H heifer, and I've kind of questioned where she got it from. But now she has a uh, a Jagger sister that's a bred heifer. And did the spring here, I was doing some fence work, and I'm like, no, it's in the family because trying to make fence, and she is all over licking everything. That's <laughs> <laughs> so a good trait. Sometimes you're just like, just leave me alone. But but it's a good trait too. And and so like my son, um, Blake does a lot of work in the barn and he's 15 now. So he's a home from school. He's using the barn. And, and he, he told me, I think it was maybe around Royal time. We, cause he knows that sometimes I'm just going to, I'm going to just price stuff to sell. And sometimes I price it really high and I don't, I don't really want to sell. And sometimes I'll price to move them. Like it all depends. And, and he, he says to me, he's like, just don't price prior. And uh, cause that's, she's, she's, she's definitely a special cow for us as well. Kind of, kind of like Sue, I think too. <laughs> And you're working um, with CMEX on this family. And, you know, what have those results look like so far? And what are you seeing? What are you looking forward to? So, so yeah, what we what came about with with Briar and her daughters is, um, I guess it was just over a year ago, um, like her daughter started getting, you know, they hit the ground, they got genomics. And um, the first two that got numbers were Lambdas and Carl Barkley. Um, who works for CMEX helping run the, the progenesis mm -hmm. program. 
contacted me about about Lambda Bright, and basically, um, long story short, uh, him and Horacio um, Larea came out and they saw the uh, the herd, the family, uh, Briar, and all of her daughters. It actually it wasn't meant to be this way, but it was actually they came the day Briar calved actually, so they saw her about three hours fresh. Um, and over, uh, it took us quite a while, but we ended up kind of writing up an agreement and came to an agreement where, um, they ended up buying bright Lambda bright. And then the other five daughters, um, went to Bovatech to IVF and Briar stayed here, but we, I just took her down to Freighton. Uh, they're only about 15 minutes away. The, the satellite center there for IVF. So we IVF Briar plus all of her daughters. And, um, so we've, we've had we've had really good results it was um it was definitely a a leap of i think it was a leap of faith and we spent i spent a lot of time thinking about it carl and i talked a lot on the phone while we were kind of putting this together and for me uh it was important that i make the matings um i i like making matings and and like the genomic game is like for me it's it's fun it's like a hobby i enjoy it and so I wanted to do it. And, and I also wanted um, the offspring to be what I wanted and what we want for our herd. And I guess when we're breeding, obviously in, in this agreement, like we were, we were, we're trying to make some high bulls too, but I really believe in making crosses to make females. So I'll, you know, if it, if there's a cross that I don't really want a daughter from, I don't think it's something I want to make a bull from. Like, I don't, I don't breed that way. And so it's been really good, Carl, and in her ass, she'll give me a lot of input. I I really respect those guys, and they've given me really good input. And but I made the final call on on when they come home from Bovatech. Um, I made the I made the call on all the flushes, um, the matings we've made, and so we've got we got quite a lot of pregnancies coming now, um, male and female. Um, I guess one thing I didn't mention is that we've been. Uh, it's, we've been fortunate with is that we've been able to use the technology of, of genomic testing the embryos because it's a deal with CMEX and that's been um, pretty neat to see it's it's kind of it's it's technology that we've never been able to to use before and it's been neat to see um, so many genomic numbers come back so you really see how the family is transmitting and you see the bulls that are really turning out the numbers that um, that obviously then point to whether the the offspring are going to be what we're looking for and um there's uh i guess the first pregnancies coming are, are only about three or four weeks off um we used we used bullseye a lot and i guess coming up the the first females i have here are some high type bull, uh, bullseyes right off of briar that i'm or right yeah right off of briar i'm pretty excited about we got some some bulls coming shortly um destination from lambda beyonce that's really high milk with really high type she's he's actually i think he's i think he's quite a package she's also uh, lambda um beyonce also has a couple really high type um bullseyes coming i guess those are in june or july um with around 3500 lpi and then and then later on there's there's some really high calaharys and and uh, ambrose um, we got some really neat Blakely females coming from from Briar. We have we've kind of used a whole mix. I think we have a good a good mix of bulls. And then because the donors, because we have there's the two Ranger donors, we have some red carriers, and um, uh, there's there's also some really high milk stuff coming, which is a little different 
I wouldn't say it's different for us, but but for for the way I breed, I guess kind of my um, breeding philosophy is is fat matters a lot. So we like in our breeding, we focus more on on uh, fat deviation than we do milk. Um, in in this barn, and you know, obviously, I don't use I don't use a lot of super minus bulls. I use some. I'm still using Sidekick. Um, so I'm definitely use some lower bulls, but we always they gotta have fat. So I'm I'm really excited. It's been a little shift in gears because actually the last two donors just came back from Bovatech last week. So now instead of making matings, we're kind of shifting now to getting calves born and breathing and healthy. <laughs> the next step of the process. That is the yeah. key of it. Yeah, yeah you've got to do <laughs> yeah, it all. Yeah, I think I visited with Carl uh, last week about this, and he said they have we have something like 32 male pregnancies coming from the family, which is really exciting. And, you know, the sires that you listed, great matings and you know, sent females back to you. So that'll be, that'll be really interesting to watch in the next year. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come right here. Now we got 29 female pregnancies um, from Briar and her daughters as well. So I've been kind of keeping track of what we got. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. And, and actually last, uh, uh, I guess it was last week after the May evaluations, um, Horacio has sent an update and we've had uh, 285 embryos from the family so far. And the average uh, 3,595 LPI, 13.6 for type, uh, 1,020 something for kilograms of milk, and then plus 0.2 for fat. So I think there's some really, and of course that's the average. We have some uh, really extreme stuff coming that I'm really excited about. So should be fun. <laughs> I think we're all excited. I guess. Well, from basically based off of what you're saying, um, would you agree that breeding is more of a marathon than a sprint? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, um, I believe, I guess, like, um, first thing is cow families, right? And so, like, Briar's family goes back to the Barbies. And so you got you to gotta give a lot of credit to, to Rag and Crest, who obviously developed that family and, and got it what it was. And, and I even look at, like, our, our Sioux family. Um, She's from the Splendor family, of course. And even before that, the family was known as the Shower family. And, and so it, it, in the genomic game, it can, be, it can be a little bit of a race sometimes. Sometimes get these, these matings in uh, with young bulls on, on young donors. But yet it's still, you, for me, like you, you, mandatory above all that is you've got to have the family behind um, with high scores and, and good cows that, that they're production and their their type phenotype matches with their genomics say they are and that it's not just it's not just like ink on paper it's it's actual real data um that the cows are what the numbers say they are so it it, it all goes back to the families I, i'm a really 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 firm believer in in deep proven families families that have like stood the test of time and and i guess i I'm a believer that history will repeat itself in breeding. So, I mean, if if you can keep a, a, a line going of of really strong um, type cows that can milk and like you know obviously be be healthy cows, that's I guess for us the health traits are quite important. And, and we I look heavily at fertility and, and somatic cell. Those are the two I really look at. And so you want you want the complete package with all of those. And when you get families that that put it all together and they've done it before. There's no reason that they can't do it again in future generations. So it's not, it's not uh, just turning over 
and I know we got to keep us, you know, a shorter generation interval is, is good, but I, I really value those cows that maybe they're not the, maybe they're not the newest, maybe they're first lactation, maybe they're third lactation, but if they're a transmitter, like I'm, I also believe if they're a transmitter this year, they are next year still. And so, um, yeah, we want to get calves from them as soon as we can, but I don't like to walk away from those really good transmitters too fast. Keep, keep working with those and breeding, getting more offspring from the top stuff. So yeah, in, in multiple ways, I think I look at it as much more of a marathon than a sprint for sure. So I think a lot of our listeners internationally and from the tours that we bring to your farm during the Royal and year round, you know, they look to you for advice and as someone that they, that they want to, you know, have, you know, and, and duplicate and duplicate your success. So like, if you're thinking about who mentored you and how you got your start, can you just mention maybe some mentors in your life and what that meant to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. For me, my, my dad was my mentor. There's no doubt about that. Um, he, he instilled in me, um, work ethic, uh, faith, um, and just giving your best and everything you've got. And, um, and so he was a guy like he, when he was running the breeding program more than now, he focused on, on, on more show cows. And I've, and it's kind of always been, I still enjoy the shows. I still love the shows. We, I just don't focus on breeding the show cows like we once did, but for sure. I mean, in just so many ways, he's definitely the mentor that I've, that I've looked up to the most. Um, for any listeners that don't know, he actually, um, the reason he's not farming with me anymore is he passed away from ALS, uh, five and a half years ago. So he was very involved in the farm right up until, until he passed away. Um, and I, and I guess I should add to that was, it was because of that. And that I saw that, um, you don't know when it's your time, you know, just seeing him fade away. You, you, and, and I think you don't know when it's your time. And then I thought, why am I holding off building this robot barn, switching things up here a little bit? Um, when I think I'm going to do it at some point, I might as well enjoy every day a little more. So I want to enjoy every day of farming the most that I can. And so that that's what really brought on the change um, from Ty Stall to Freestall when it did. Um, I'm going a little off topic here, but I'm just kind of expanding on that a little all. bit. And how, how he mentored me. Um, and then also there's there's just a lot of people that I always I always um, keep my ears open to. I listen, I listen a lot, and I think God gave us two ears and one mouth. Sometimes my mouth goes too much and I'm, but I like to listen because I, from, I don't, I don't get, I'm the only full-time employee here. I have my, my son who's in, in grade nine. He helps when he's not at school. And then I have, I have uh, a lady that works for me who's real good help um, for, you know, two, three hours in the morning. And so I'm, I don't get to see as many other cows and stuff as I'd always like, or think I'm going to, I always have good intentions <laughs> but to actually get out and see more. I, I, I listen to, Seaman salesman, um, even the guys buying the bulls, Mike West, Brian Kerskad, when he worked for CMEX in the past, and, and still Brian. Um, those those in in Seaman salesmen over the years, like I like I said, Pete Kaufman's another one. I've always picked his brain. Usually we still have a, a chat after each uh, proof round. There's there's people like that that I like to listen to and get their thoughts on things. Um, as well, I guess I would mention like a couple dairy farmers themselves that I, that I like to always pick their brain. Um, one is Brad Brenneman from Brenland. He bred Denver bull at, at ABS. And then, and then John Martin, um, 
who's co-breeder of, of Milano. Um, those two guys, we like to go golfing and sometimes <laughs> uh, just vent about sometimes the frustrating part, parts of farming and sometimes just uh, <laughs> talk bulls. <laughs> so, so we have, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people like, like that as well that I just like to always listen to and sometimes I need to vent to them too. <laughs> so so the, yeah, there's, there's multiple, but above all is definitely, uh, definitely my dad for, for mentor. Yeah. And those peer circles, like you mentioned, are so important to have, you know, people to talk to and bounce ideas off of. And, and yeah. like you said, sometimes just vent. We all do that. We need yeah. it. <laughs> yep. The cows are only so good to vent to because they can't talk back. <laughs> Although sometimes that would be good. Just let um, her know. Guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we'll switch gears a little bit on this part. Um we have we bring a lot of visitors to your farm through the Royal um, year round through CMEX. Um, what's something that they often ask you or something that they really want to know? Um, probably, probably the most common question is, uh, do you get royalties back on Solomon's sidekick? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the most common question. Um, and the answer to that is yes. Um, another one that I get asked a lot is, is people ask if we breed intentionally for bulls, like, like to put bulls in the stud and in that, like, obviously it's, it's goal I want to do, but like I mentioned earlier, um, I make matings, um, to make females and those are what I, I think turn out the best bulls. And so I would say as far as traits go, then I, I focus on the traits that I like. I've always believed that if, if, if we like this certain type of cow here. And, and for us, it's a wide chested cow. That's something that's really, really been pushed to the forefront since we're in the new barn, uh, a really and, and well-balanced. So, I mean, I don't mind if a cow is big, like, well, I should say tall. I don't mind if she's tall, if she's got enough width. I don't like a short cow if she has no width. I want a balanced cow and a lot of chest width, hard line, thoroughs properly placed. Those are the, the, the type traits that we look at um, and I, of course, you don't always get everything, but I look really closely at those. And I, regardless of what genomics say, especially on a milking female, because now we know what we got, I'll use, I'll use the genomics. I'll look at the genomics, especially for health traits, um, components and all, all that is like milk components as well. But I still uh, make to fix the phenotype of the cow. So I'm, you know, if, if a cow is straight legged, but her genomic numbers say she's fork curved, I'm still protecting her straight leg hundred percent of the time. That's a guarantee. So I'm still, I, I definitely make the matings to fix the female and then hopefully we can turn some bulls out from that. And, and from when it comes time to flush then on those cows and, and I'm, and we're picking sires, I kind of in my mind think, can I turn a bull out from this, this mating? If I like it, I'm going to do it no matter what. And if I, I want to do the mating, but I don't think we can turn a bull out, then I use sex semen. And so that's where it would, it would um, determine, um, that it might, I, I do have to look at, can we, can we realistically turn a sun out from this that could, that could work? And if it's a no, then I, then I use sex semen, but I, I definitely will still do that cross. Um, the one trait that I have to keep an, keep an eye on, I guess, uh, is milking speed. And for me, it's really hard to care <laughs> about milking speed when our barn's not much over half full and the cows are milking while I'm sleeping. So I'm like, I, I think I, for me, it's pretty easy to care less than ever, but, but I also know that 
Um, well, I guess our, our herd, like we have that data now with the robots, we average 3.5 uh, kilograms per minute. And I, I don't know, I think that's, I think it's fine. I, I'm happy with it. It's quick enough for right. me, but I know that milking speed is something to sell semen that I have to watch. So if there's a, if there's a cross I want to do, um, but milking speed is really low, again, I'll go sex semen. Cause I know that that could, that could be a real knockout trade. If I turn a sun out, that's that's high, but they won't take them because of milking speed. I'll, I'll do that. Um, I'll do that sex semen flush so I can still make the females I want because I think it's, it could be extremely low. Cause I, cause we have, we have some like, you know, we, I really like alligator sidekick ranger. They're all lower milking speed bulls that, I, that we do have to be careful when making matings for sons. And so we've talked a lot about what's going, what happened and how you got to where you are and what you're doing today. But what do you think is next for you and the farm? Where are you going next? Well, so last summer we, um, I, I guess we're three years ago we built. Last summer we ended up uh, putting up another bunk uh, silo. So we have four now. Uh, the old tie stall barn we took down uh, two thirds of it and we renovated what's left. We have a couple bulls in there, four H calves, and we put a pasture around it. And I really like that area it's it, it's what keeps you keen <laughs> my son uh, Blake has got a pretty good knack for clipping so he'll blow up top lands and a few of the 4-H calves and all that and it keeps you gives you good ambition and so I, we enjoy that part and then I also um, uh, the sand the sand has been tough on on our heifers feet since we moved into this barn because we do raise them from about uh, uh, about a year old 11 12 months old up they go on sand so last summer we also then um, built a, a cement pad out back with an overhang for a straw pack so we can have the heifers outside and pasture once they're pregnant just I, I like I love having 11 heifers outside that's for sure it's my it's my preference for sure so we did that and now I'm I am done building and I have no intent <laughs> to want to build again and I tell people More that they laugh and I say you watch I'm going to prove you I'm going to prove you wrong I'm done and so as far as expansion or nothing I have I have no like desire to milk a whole pile of cows. Um, we are, we do intend to fill the barn to 110 cows. And you know, if it's going to go beyond that, it won't be me doing it. That'll be the, that'll be the next generation if they want to do that. So as far as like expansions that way, I don't think there'll be, um, I don't think there'll be anything big. I feel like I'm done building and I'm just loving it now. Um, but as far as the herd goes and, and, and moving forward, I think we're going to, we'll just keep continuing doing what we're doing and trying to um, breed the best cows we can. And I, I really, really enjoy breeding. So that will be um, continue to be at the forefront. And, and you know, when we, when we, when we're not building and doing those things, we can, fo I can focus on that more. Like I know uh, the year that we built the barn, we did two flushes that whole year and it was just, there was only so much we could keep on top of. And, and it was like, okay, we're building right now. We're just not going to do as many flushes. And then, and then we, we did have, we haven't, well, we had, we had a gap there. We didn't put hardly any bulls in stud. And, and <laughs> there was a time actually, not that long ago, we got some genomics back on, I don't know, there's a couple bulls or something all at once and they weren't high enough. And, and Blake said to me, he goes, dad, we're never going to put a bull in stud again. <laughs> and I said, maybe, maybe we won't. I don't know. Like, we're gonna try, but maybe we won't. Who knows? And you know, it's it's tough. It should be tough. And so, um, 
it showed a little bit. You gotta be like, you gotta be up things. You gotta be doing the flushing and and spending the time in the mating. And so I I hope I have more time for that. Well, I, I and I know I will because I've I've been able to the last couple of years now focus more on that again, and that's what I that's what I the part I love. So if I'm not doing that, then I I might as well quit farming. I I do it because I like it. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, and uh, the ominous question, the big one. Um, that we like to ask everybody on this is um, what your favorite bowl of all time was or is. Well, sidekick and Solomon tight. That's easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. No, no the, I mean, they're my favorite, obvious, for obvious reason. Uh, but looking at bowls that um, that aren't bred, bred here, because, of course, it's easy to like your own stuff. Um, I mean, I would look at Goldwyn as the best bowl of all time. And when I say all time, I can't comment, like, I can't, I'm 39. I can't comment on the, all the bulls from way back. I, I don't know yeah. enough. I, I know the bulls all that. I don't know the daughters. So my time, I would say Goldwyn's the best bull. But I also, um, then in our herd, I have to recognize what Abbott's done. And, and Abbott was a bull that I, I really, at the time, I told a few people this, and I still think, I still really believe this. He, he was a bull that really could have made a massive impact coming in on McCutcheon and Dorman blood. And it's, it's too bad that he had HCD and he, he, he didn't get the opportunities like he could have, um, in our herd. I mean, well, we got sidekick and then, and then obviously a son. And then we got, uh, Briar is damn is an, is an Abbott and her full sister, Abbott Bree, uh, is another excellent, uh, Abbott and she's a cow that left a lot of really good um, daughters in her herd and then has has Bridgestone and, and Braden at CMAX as well. So all of our best, like if, if I really look at it, of the families that like we've bred here for for more than a few years, they all have Abbott behind them. So he's been massively influential for us. And and their cows with like he's he's the best when it comes to loin. Like he's awesome. And and I think. I think I think at least sidekicks really good loin, really good hard loin daughters, and that's. I mean, I got to give due credit. It's, it's it wasn't summer that was Abbott, and mm -hmm. summer brought a lot of other really good things. But Abbott is phenomenal for that. And in our herd, um, we like we're we're not very big, so by our standard, we used them heavy, and we have seven daughters. We had seven daughters of them, and uh, we have four excellence, three three very goods, and they have flat lactation curves, high components, they age well. He's been a phenomenal bull for us. And then more, um, I'm going to sound like a real Homer because then I'm just kind of building up Briar here, you know, but then, but on the <laughs> Abbott blood, to where we started <laughs> on, on the Abbott blood, uh, alligator is like phenomenal. And so now, um, if I have an Abbott in heat, it's automatic alligator seam because we love our alligators. We really like, he doesn't seem to miss, but our, our best ones are out of Abbott's. And, yeah. and I think it's just that square back end on that Abbott can do so well. And he's like, he seems to be really, it seems to be potent. He, he seems to be potent in, in his, in his wedgy loin and squareness through the rump that um, you can, you, you see the effect of Abbott for a generation or two there and, or maybe more, I should say, even like give him credit. He, he's been, he's been great. And then alligator is another one more modern that I'm, I mean, I can't say he's a favorite of all time yet too early yet, but we really like it alligator as well awesome 
That's great. We really, really appreciate visiting with you and you taking the time to be with us. This has been a wonderful interview and conversation. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me. <laughs> and if you want to read a little bit more in depth about Walnut Lawn and their cow families, you can check out the article by Bonnie Cooper in our latest Discover 200 magazine. And that can be found at www.cmags.com. If you like this podcast, give us a four-star review. It really helps others find the show and learn more about CMEX, our people, our programs, and our services.